The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. I always say it. I mean it. We think it's absolutely true. Oh, my. Let's see what the buzz on the street is here today. Well, I have some important words of warning for all of you out there listening around the world. I'm quoting John Scalzi, an author and former president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. That gives you a clue. He says, here's a quick rule of thumb. Don't annoy science fiction writers. These are the people who destroy entire planets before lunch. Think of what they'll do to you. Oh, my. Let's just let that sink in for a second. Before I give you more on what we're going to be discussing, let me read you the definition of science fiction from Wikipedia. Where else would I find it? Science fiction, often shortened to SF, Sci, S-C-I-F-I, or Sci-Fi, S-C-I-F-I, is a genre of speculative fiction, typically dealing with imaginative concepts such as futuristic science and technology, space travel, time travel, faster-than-light travel, parallel universes, and extraterrestrial life. Science fiction stories were intended to have a grounding in science fiction-based, science-based fact or theory at the time the story was created. Okay, now, let's talk about real life, real people. We're going to be meeting three real people in just a second. Summertime happiness. Come on, where do you like to go? Very often the beach. You want to escape, get away from it all. But more and more people are bringing science fiction page-turners with them. They're seeking bliss. They're seeking that wonderful escape, but you know what? They're actually doing their homework, preparing for tomorrow's new realities. What? Is it true? Could science fiction actually be predicting and telling us better than the tea leaves in the bottom of the cup or going to a palm reader? What's going to happen? Perhaps. As digital technology advances like AI, come on, you all listen, you know that's artificial intelligence, robotics, robotics are coming to a workforce near you, and Internet of Things accelerate exponentially. The implications for our civilization can be hard for us to grasp on an everyday basis. Our human brains just aren't equipped to make sense of things moving this fast. Sci-fi to the rescue, hence the books, hence the topic, helping us to imagine what our future could be like. Important question for all of you out there listening to us on the Business Channel. Should sci-fi be mandatory reading for business leaders? Hmm. And for others, 
whom we trust, and we give responsibility for planning our collective future. Oh, this is so heavy. Let me tell you who our, who our speakers are today. Three very interesting people. One is very well known here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. The other two are newcomers. Just let me introduce who they are, and then we'll speak to them. First up, who else would I invite for a show about this except Gray Scott, our futurist, one of our very favorite favorite future-looking people. Gray will be with us in just a second. Joining him is a lady he recommended to us, referred to us. She is Brenda J. Cooper. You may recognize her name. She's a prolific sci-fi author, also a futurist, and she's the CIO of Kirkland, Washington. How about that? We'll find out a little bit about her business background as well. And rounding out the panel is one of my new colleagues. He brought up the idea of sci-fi as a business learning tool to me about two, three months ago. We're working on a project. His name is Dan Wellers. He's the global lead for digital futures at SAP, first timer on Game Changers, and delighted to have him. So Gray Scott has sent me a quote from, and I could say, who else? Isaac Asimov. Asimov, um, 1920 to 1992, an American writer and professor of biochemistry at my alma mater, Boston University, known for his works of science fiction and popular science Asimov was prolific. He wrote or edited more than 500 books, 90,000 letters and postcards, and his books have been published in nine of the ten major categories of the Dewey Decimal Classification System. Oh, my. Here's the quote. Science fiction writers foresee the inevitable, and although problems and catastrophes may be inevitable, solutions are not. Gray Scott, great topic. How are you, Gray? (laughs) I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back. Well, Gray, who else would I have invited for a topic like this? Come on, you're the first name. I said to Dan Wellers, I said, let's put together a panel. I said, oh, my goodness, first invitation goes out to Gray Scott. So, Gray, talk to me about, you picked the Isaac Asimov quote. Obviously, it's on topic. It's perfect. Would you agree or disagree with this quote? Well, I disagree with the idea that solutions are not inevitable because I think you have um, both sides of the coin at any given time. So, the way that I view science fiction is sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. So what we write when we write science fiction in a lot of ways comes true because people want it to come true, Uh, maybe Mm. unconsciously or maybe consciously. Now I'll give you a quick uh, example. When Blade Runner came out, um, that was supposed to be a warning it was supposed to be an environmental, a social, a, a philosophical warning to people. But what we saw was a cyber uh, community that, that sort of embraced it and, it and sort of romanticized it, and suddenly it's become the ideal <laughs> in a certain culture. So we have to be cautious of what we write, and we have to be mindful of science fiction because sometimes um, it gets misconstrued. Interesting. You said mindful of what we write. Does that imply that there's a responsibility, that you just can't close your eyes, I don't know, imbibe or inhale something very potent and say, oh my, how crazy can I lead people's imagination? Is there a responsibility in science fiction? I never thought of that, Gray. Well, I mean, you are a world builder. I mean, you described that in your opening. And, you know, artists in general, and I think this is very true for every artist, are trying to influence not only the outside world, but they're trying to describe the world inside uh, themselves. And so when you do that, you also have to be self-reflective and make sure that, that you're not spewing pain onto the world and then causing the world to sort of take that up. 
Um, that that can be within the science fiction story. That can be within paintings or movies or films. Any of those things, but specifically with science fiction, you're you're forecasting, right? You're, you're putting out there a beacon. Uh, over the horizon and drawing people towards a horizon. So do you want people to, to run off a cliff or do you want people to climb a mountain and, and become better? I mean, that's really the dilemma there. Very provocative. And that's another reason I invited you. Gray, pleasure to hear your voice again. And I know we're both here somewhere in sunny New York. Thank goodness it rains so much. And I'm glad the sun is out. We'll talk about the weather later. And thank you for introducing me to our next special guest. She is Brenda J. Cooper. Oh, my, what a background she has. We'll talk about it in a little while. But Brenda has sent us a quote from David Brin. I had no idea who he was. So, of course, I looked him up. Glenn David Brin, born in 1950. I like to say he's one of the young ones. He's an American scientist and award-winning author of science fiction. He has received the Hugo, the Locus, the Campbell, and Nebula Awards. His Campbell award-winning novel, The Postman, was adapted as a feature film and starred Kevin Costner in 1997. He's also a 2010 fellow of the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies. Gray, that goes back to our concept of don't spew pain and take responsibility. Uh, he serves on the advisory board of NASA's Innovative and Advanced Concepts Group. And he speaks for groups interested in the future, ranging from the U.S. Defense Department agencies and the CIA to Procter & Gamble, SAP, Google, and other major corporations. Fascinating. Here's the quote Brenda has selected from David Brin. Quote, change is the principal feature of our age, and literature should explore how people deal with it. The best science fiction does that head on. Oh, my. Brenda J. Cooper, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're delighted. This is a wonderful quote. I'd never heard of David Brin, but I have to look him up a little more. And, and I love the idea of ethics and emerging technologies, which goes back to our discussion with Gray. Brenda, delighted to have you on. Tell me how you picked this quote and how does it relate to our topic? Sci-fi, Wi-Fi, AI, what's the story? There, I finally said the topic. Go ahead. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, I do three things. I'm a CIO, I write science fiction, and I'm a working futurist. And for all of those things, one of the most difficult things that I'm dealing with, and I'm sure everybody listening to this is dealing with, is how fast things are changing and how we can cope with that. And science fiction can get ahead of that change and talk to us about it before it happens. For example, I recently reread 1984, and it actually was in many ways exploring fake news and propaganda and a lot of things that we're talking about now. 2001 illuminated the risk of intelligent machines with the famous quote from Hal. Um, a really current book, um, Kim Stanley Robinson's 2040, talks about a plausible response by New York City, where you both are, to, uh, to climate change. And it's um, got some hope in it, which goes a little bit, I think, to uh, what Gray was just talking about. And so I think that, that climate or, um, science fiction can give us stories where we can show people who have survived change. We can show that it's possible to survive change, that we don't have to feel overwhelmed by it. Very interesting. Brenda, do you feel a sense of responsibility when you write? Tell me. Oh, absolutely. And, and what, is that I, a voice talking to you as you, as you pick up your pen or you start on your keyboard? Does something say, nah, that's a little too painful, that's a little too weird, people might really believe it and it might take them down the wrong road or the wrong path? What, what, is, what does that voice say to you or what, what does that just say to you? I think what happens for me is I believe that we're 
more powerful human beings and more able to make change in our world if we believe we have the power to make that change. So I try to write stories where my characters can make change and can survive and can do good, you know, sometimes against great odds, of course, because you've got to make a story interesting. And we're, frankly, working uphill against great odds right now. But I think that it's a responsibility if good fiction to be a beacon. And some of my fiction has, in fact, I think, been a response to some of the super negative fiction that gets written because that kind of actually makes me angry. I want my fiction to be about success and about um, overcoming and about becoming better and becoming more. Wow. I, I'm, I'm very impressed. I have to read a little bit about your bio. I don't usually do that at this point in the show, but I want people to know Brenda Cooper is a science fiction writer, futurist, and CIO. Her most recent novel called Wilders, W-I-L-D-E-R-S, which came out from Prometheus Books in June 2017 this year, explores climate impacts, robotics, smart cities, and rewilding. Brenda, what is rewilding? <laughs> we have... In many cases, humans have had a fairly large impact on um, the natural world. Everything from where we build roads, we're basically often cutting across the roads that the wildlife used, to where we um, choose to farm in ways that might not be respectful of wildlife or wildland, or that might be really, you know, not particularly doing good things for the soil, et cetera, et cetera, we're damaging the natural environment that we depend on. Rewilding is basically rethinking land use decisions in such a way that it's more respectful of wildlife, including plants, animals, and, you know, really, you know, everything about an ecosystem. Okay, thank you very much, Brenda. Pleasure to meet you, and I, I think I'm going to have to read your books. I don't get much of a beach escape in the summer here with radio all the time. You know, the show must go on, but I'm, I'm going to have to grab a copy. Thank you very much. And now, with pleasure, I introduce my recently new colleague, Dan Wellers, Global Lead for Digital Futures at SAP. That gives you a clue about what his interests are. And Dan has selected a quote from Gene Roddenberry. Come on, everybody. You remember Gene Roddenberry. Eugene Wesley nicknamed Gene Roddenberry, 1921 to 1991. Hard to believe he's been gone because his legacy lives on. He was an American TV screenwriter and producer. You all know the name. He created the original Star Trek TV series. As a freelance writer, he wrote scripts also for the old show. Dan, I don't know if you're old enough. I don't know if Brenda is. Gray's too young. Highway Patrol? Have Gun Will Travel. These are back from, I think I was in the womb, I'm lying. Another series before he created his own TV show, The Lieutenant. In 1964, he created Star Trek. It premiered on TV in 66. It only ran for three seasons, and it was canceled. Can you believe that? He continued to consult. They went into films, and my goodness gracious. So there you go. Here is the quote Dana selected from Gene Roddenberry. For me, science fiction is a way of thinking a way of logic that bypasses a lot of nonsense. It allows people to look directly at important subjects. Oh, my. Dan Wellers, how are you today? 
I am fantastic, Bonnie. I'm thrilled to be here and uh, really excited to be on the panel with Gray and Brenda. Very excited. Thank you very much. We're delighted to have you. And it was because you and I have been, I I like the word noodling. We've been noodling Mm -hmm. about sci-fi and the role of sci-fi in business. And we've been talking to people like Gray. And we spoke to uh, Frank, Diana, and TCS about a project that you're working on. And I'm I'm working on it with you kind of on the sidelines. And I said, hey, this is a great topic for radio. So here we are. So, Dan, tell me. Star Trek fan? Are you a Trekkie? Do you go to the conventions? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I remember, yeah, the 1964 series. I don't remember those other ones you mentioned. I think my parents watched those, so I'm not quite that old. Oh, <laughs> I sit corrected. Uh, I sit corrected. Right. <laughs> go ahead. But, uh, but definitely, the, 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 I, yes, I'm a big, uh, big Star Trek fan, as well as the entire sci-fi genre. So tell me about the quote. Is, is he correct? It's a way of thinking, logic that bypasses nonsense, looking at important subjects. That's the premise of this whole show, is that it is important. It's not just fluff. It's not just an escape. It's, it's in a way, a way to get rid of the current day everything stuff and look ahead at what may be very important to our future. So do you agree with the quote? Oh, I absolutely do. And I, and I especially like this quote because there's so much to unpack in it. Uh, science fiction is a way of thinking about removing the constraints and the boundaries that we usually have when we're thinking. Uh, science fiction is a way of logic. Uh, to me, that means the stories have to be believable and plausible, as, as Brenda said. Uh, science fiction helps us bypass the nonsense, which is, which is the day-to-day petty stuff we get caught up in and that can, can, can cloud our thinking. It helps us transcend that. And it helps us look also directly at important subjects. Um, the best storytellers and science fiction writers, they know what issues and questions and important challenges that we face need to be raised. And since they're good at it, they make us care. So I think that's a really powerful quote. Very interesting. Thank you very much. Are you a big reader of sci-fi? Is that your favorite beach escape? If you ever go to the beach, Dan, what do you think? To the degree I get time to read these days, yes. Yes, I'm a big watcher watcher of it, too. My Ah. Netflix queue is full of them. Oh, my. Okay. Very interesting. I have to, when I'm done binge-watching Drop Dead Diva, my, my summer escape, <laughs> um, I binge-watch enough that in two and a half weeks, I'm up to the middle of season four. I can't wait for it to be over enough already. A little bit of sci-fi. It's a little bit of sci-fi as well. Uh, oh, oh, two women die at exactly the same time. They're at the pearly gates, and somehow one pushes the return button. I want to go back. and ends up inhabiting the body of the other one who died and comes back as her and has no memory of course of that other woman's life and then a guardian angel is sent down to protect her and keep her from telling people what happened little bit of sci-fi you know what i just realized i'm a fan of sci-fi oh my (laughs) what can i say thank you very much dan gray scott you know this part of the show we talk uh we talk a little bit of personal up close and personal what's in your cup today we know we think you're in new york today gray tell me if not and gray what do you love to drink that makes you feel your futuristic roots the most, the best? I'm actually drinking green tea this morning, and I'm in Connecticut. Uh, I've been staying oh. up here for the, yeah, I've been staying up here for the summer and uh, trying to write, which is uh, Connecticut, the house in the country is a great place to, to try to write. And uh, yeah, green tea, jasmine tea, that's usually what I try to get. And does that fuel your, your sci-fi? Does that, that keep the, the, the flow of this logic that bypasses nonsense? Does that make it happen? Clear the um, head? It does if I add a cup or two of, <laughs> of, of, uh, 
of something extra. Yeah, you <laughs> want to tell us what your favorite extra is? <laughs> Come on, Gray. I have I have this new maple liqueur that I've, I've been adding to everything. I've been cooking with it, too. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably my favorite right now. I had a feeling there was a little something extra in here. Maple liqueur. Is there a name to it? I'm looking, you know me. I'm looking it up. What can I say? Your ma- real maple, my, my maple liqueur recipe, maple liqueur. Uh, it's yeah, considered I've been, I've to be. Using it yeah. with, I've been using it with um, onions and Brussels sprouts, and it, it just gives it that maple taste. It's really a great um, uh, additive when you're cooking. Oh, and the bottle is beautiful, and it's on Wikipedia, and it's considered to be a traditional part of Canadian cuisine. Did you know that? Yep, yep. It's made mm-hmm. up of Canadian whiskey and Canadian maple syrup. I'm going to go wave the Canadian flag after to see if I can get me a bottle. Thank you very much, Gray. We finally got a new drink out of you. Thank you so much, and glad you're in Connecticut. But I'm telling you, it's beautiful here in New York, so you can come back anytime. Brenda J. Cooper, are you in Kirkland, Washington? If not, where are you? And what's your favorite drink that fuels your sci-fi powerfulness, Brenda? Uh, I am in Kirkland. Um, My actual favorite drink is my first morning coffee. It doesn't even matter if the coffee is bad, but it's that when I have my first coffee, I go sit outside and I have like an acre and a half in just this beautiful place. I listen to the birds and I talk to the dogs and it's like one of the few times I can just sort of be remembering the things I dreamed about, which is often how I solve plot problems and begin thinking about the day. And so that's my favorite thing. And that coffee tastes so good. Oh, how nice. Thank you very much. And Kirkland is the home of, we know, we know what Kirkland is the home of. Is it famous for anything else besides you being the CIO? <laughs> what made you want to be a CIO, Brenda? Oh, I've been in technology my most of my life. I used to do other jobs. And when I hit technology, I just haven't been bored ever since. It's just such an interesting, fascinating um, thing to work on and in. And I love Kirkland because it's First of all, it's just a beautiful place, string of beautiful parks right on the lake, lovely people. I love the people that I work with. And we can see Seattle, so we have access to all that culture that's there and, um, and all the beauty that we have in Kirkland. It's just a perfect spot. I like that. And by the way, Kirkland is a city in King County, Washington, United States. The population was 87,281 in the 2015 census estimate, which made it the sixth largest city in King County. And you have a very active tourism website, apparently. And there's even something called Kirkland 2017, the best of Kirkland, Washington tourism. So there, everybody go visit Brenda and watch her write sci-fi. Brenda, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm going to use the word advisedly old programmer from back in the day. My first job was mainframe programmer analyst working for community colleges in the state of Oregon. What do you think of that? Lifting up disc packs had to go on a step stool to put the pack into the drive and carrying around card decks had to key punch all my code. Oh my. So I agree with you. Never boring in tech. Even tech back in the early days. Never bored. I agree with you. Great, great profession to be in. Thank you so much. Pleasure to meet you. And now Dan Wellers. Where are you? What are you drinking? I need to get to know my colleague a little better. Dan, talk to us. I am in Connecticut also, so Gray will will have to to compare notes. But I am at my home, in my home office. It's beautiful outside, looking out at my lovely garden. Um, So you want to know what's in my cup? Of course. So, so, you know, I'd like to be able to say if it was cocktail hour, that it would be a tall glass full of Romulan ale, which Star Trek fans know is a 
a favored but illegal drink because of its potency in the sci-fi world of Star Trek. But it's a fictional drink, and also because it's a bit early. Um, what's, what I'm actually is in my cup is coffee, which I make from beans that I grind fresh every morning in my, and this is no joke, in my Bean Me Up coffee grinder. <laughs> <laughs> what it's called is no joke. You can find it on Amazon. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to screech there. I'm, well, I'm thinking of Kevin on the audio board saying, Bonnie, stop going in the high range. Seriously, bean me up. Bean, that is phenomenal. I, I now take you so much more seriously on our sci-fi project. You're going to have to forgive awesome. me for this, Dan, Dan Wellers, but I looked up Romulan Ale, and I found the exact quote from Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, James C. Kirk and Leonard McCoy, 2285, and the question is, Romulan Ale, why bones? You know this is illegal. And, uh, and Kirk says, I only use it for medicinal purposes. You remember that one? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Romulan Ale, highly intoxicating alcoholic beverage of Romulan origin with a characteristic blue color ranging from a pale blue sky to a dark midnight blue. Took a while to ferment, and Dr. Leonard McCoy also used it for medicinal purposes. In 2263 of the alternate reality, Montgomery Scott ordered three Romulan Ales for himself at James T. Kirk's birthday party on Star Base, Yorktown. I could read this stuff forever. This is fabulous. Thank you very much. I, I hate to disappoint here, but as Gray Scott knows from being on so many Game Changer shows with me, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And Brenda, you probably know why already. Uh, revved up enough, you're so happy to be speaking with the three of you. So I have cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a pink straw instead of wishing for a beautiful beautiful sunny sky. I am now thankful for a beautiful sunny sky after days of rain here. Our topic today officially is sci-fi, AI, Wi-Fi. I threw in Wi-Fi just because I needed three things that rhymed. What's the story? We're talking about the value of sci-fi. Is it just fluff? Is it just an escape? I think we've already established through the words of wisdom of Gray Scott, Brenda J. Cooper, and Dan Wellers, as well as the eminent writers they have quoted, including Isaac Asimov, David Brin, and Gene Roddenberry, that it's not fluff. It is helping us envision some kind of logic about the future. The future, as Gray points out so often, could be five minutes away, ten minutes away, or it could be way far off into something we'll never live to see, or maybe if Drop Dead Diva is true, we might. Actually, I don't know who we're going to come back as, but that's a whole other show. We're going to take a quick break, about 90 seconds. You can count along with us when we come back. We're going to take a really deep dive into what in the world does sci-fi have to do with with business and should our business leaders be reading this as mandatory reading not at the beach but at the office oh my i'm bonnie d graham and i plan to stay and be me after the break and so will gray scott brenda j cooper and dan weller so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial i promise we'll be back kevin out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. 
SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Indeed, we are back. As I promised, we're talking about sci-fi, AI, and all that good stuff. Technology is hurling us, hurtling us into the future. The future is, whoops, we just passed it after I paused there. Talking with Gray Scott, Brenda J. Cooper, and Dan Wellers about sci-fi and business. Is there value in reading what we used to consider escapist novels? Are they really telling us how to prepare for the real future. Gray Scott is going to kick off our roundtable now, and let me read from the notes Gray sent me before the show. Very interesting topic. He says, sci-fi can alter the mind and the moral values of humanity. The future can be dark and light. We should ask ourselves if we want a Star Trek or Star Wars future and plan accordingly. This goes for businesses and leaders within organizations. This is deep. Gray, go ahead. Tell me more. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll sort of bring in um, uh, something that's relevant to this conversation, which is actually Brenda's book, uh, Wilders, which I've read. And there is a third option. So it's not just about Star Trek or Star Wars. There is a combination, and I sort of think of this as the solar punk idea, where you can use technology to enhance and live uh, with nature and actually have sort of a holistic uh, approach to the future and, and technology. So, you know, Star Trek was all about, in, in a lot of ways, it was militarization. You know, mm-hmm. it was discovery, but there was sort of a captain and a crew, and there, it sort of rang of military. And you had Star Wars, which is the epitome of, of the corporate sort of greedy, uh, totalitarian idea. So... In both of those, except for the maybe the beginning of um, Star Wars, when you saw Luke and his house using uh, advanced technologies to farm and those types of things, you really don't get a sense out of either one of those of the solar punk idea, the, the, the idea that we could combine 
nature and technology in a way that would be beneficial for everyone. And I think Brenda's book actually does that in a very interesting way. Um, I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not going to go too deep into it, but one of the things I loved about the book is that it talked about machines actually valuing uh, nature sometimes over people. So if people mm-hmm. were misbehaving, the machines would actually be dangerous. And I, I, th- I think that idea is actually really fascinating. Now, the other part of this is that when you're writing science fiction scenarios or when you're casting uh, scenarios in general, whether that be a business scenario or a sci-fi story, you are deeply connected to the psychology of the culture, whether that's an American culture, whether that's a European culture, wherever you base your story, or maybe that it's a Martian culture. Wherever you mm-hmm. base your story, you're building a scenario, a plausible, sometimes maybe even unplausible scenario of how societies would interact with each other psychologically, culturally, uh, and how they would interact with technology and how those technologies would work. The distinction we have to make here for people who may not be that familiar with science fiction is that there is hard science fiction, there's soft science fiction. I mean, there are lots of different categories, but the three I sort of think about are the hard science fiction, soft science fiction, and then fantasy. So fantasy is just there's no no concrete proof that any of these things can exist, and we're just going way off into the future. I mean, Gene Roddenberry, in a lot of ways, was uh, his work was fantasy. I mean, teleportation mm-hmm. had no basis in, in proof at the time when he wrote it. So a lot of these things end up affecting us psychologically. I said in the opener that you, we have to be careful what we forecast because sometimes people misinterpret a forecast for... for um, a true intention or, or maybe something that we think we should do. And that's where we get into trouble. So I'm not saying that artists should censor themselves. I think you should have the right to, to create whatever story you want. But you also have to be cautious and aware of the fact that if you write a story like Blade Runner, we talked about that earlier, that if you glamorize it to a point where the younger generation thinks that that's fabulous, they will... In, embrace that and try to mm-hmm. emulate it. And that's where the fear comes in sometimes. Absolutely. I'm going to read one more note here before we bring in Brenda. You also say science fiction can be used within organizations to find new insights and reveal disruptive ideas and blind spots. Innovation is often inspired by the outrageous. That's a quotable moment. Brenda Cooper, I'd love to get your thoughts on what Gray introduced. Talk to us, please. Well, Let's touch on the idea of the solar punk idea that he talked about. One of the ways to maybe define solar punk is to say it's writing about technology in such a way that it's part of the solution to our future or part of a solution to our future. And then let me give you two examples of that. One is an anthology called Hieroglyph, and it was sort of the brainchild of um, science fiction writer Neil Stevenson, and he worked with the Center for Science and Imagination at ASU, and they put to get, put scientists and science fiction writers together and had them write moonshot stories so that they would come up with good big engineering ideas that would work, that would help us out, and some of the best um, science fiction writers are in that. They came out a couple of years ago. Something going on right now, many people might be familiar with XPRIZE, which is basically a way mm-hmm. of providing monetary incentive and, and glory for participating and winning um, to 
come up with solution sets to everything from space to housing. I mean, you know, XPRIZE works on a wide set of things. Um, and they recently put out an online anthology called Seat 14C, where they challenged um, a number of us science fiction writers to write something about how some of the XPRIZE goals um, and prizes after being won would help to make the world a better place. And I think that you can actually then extrapolate that um, into really any kind of a business being able to take a set, a goal set, uh, a visionary set of things that business wants to do, and then you can, you know, come up with what future scenarios look like for that. And essentially that, that is the solar punk idea, only in both cases, in Hieroglyph and in Seat 14C, we're kind of looking at what is the whole world like. And um, Seat 14C can be found online, so you just have to look up Seat 14C XPRIZE, and there's just a ton of really great short scenario-built stories that work real well and I think follow the idea that Gray was talking about of affecting how we feel about things and the moral choices that we make and, and things like that. Thank you, Brenda. And I did Google Solar Punk, and I came up with hieroglyph.asu.edu. Solar Punk notes toward a manifesto uh, from September fourth, twenty fourteen. And I am. Um, it says it's hard out here for futurists under thirty. Very interesting. And I put that link into one of my tweets, so you'll find it after the show. Great comments, Dan Wellers. Love to get your POV on what we're talking about. Join us, please. No, I think this is this is terrific. This is something that I think about. A lot. How do you get? Um, how do you? How can you help science fiction influence business and influence the decisions that business leaders make and the, the, the strategies that they set? I think what what Gray and Brenda, uh, the examples that they brought out are really interesting. What I struggle with and sometimes think about is how do we though get that from the world, from the context that they're talking about it in, and into the internal strategy setting context of companies. So, so uh, yeah, I go out. I'll go out on a limb a little bit here, but I think that the, the usual ways of thinking about business strategy they, they aren't effective uh, by themselves in a world where technology is moving this fast, and that uh, you know instead of maybe in addition to competitive benchmarking and you know, unique value propositions that you can protect over time, we need to do more things like uh, understanding the factors that drive acceleration and drive change. And develop the types of scenarios that that Grant Brenda both mentioned, but I think also those stories, those scenarios, can take the they can take the shape of stories, but I think they should explore both the positive and the negative outcomes. I mean, you have to to, to be able to to get the future that you want, whether you're um, uh, whether you're planning for your own life or whether you're planning for the future of your business. You need to be able to ex- to examine uh, the positive outcomes and the negative outcomes. And in corporate strategy s- scenario developments, you know, you, the, the the formal way to do that is to really look at at, at all aspects, uh, so you can avoid the bad ones. So I think in the internal, and this is not these would be stories not for external publication so much, but how my, my question is how can we get how can we have science fiction or use science fiction as a way to engage uh, the corporate board or the people responsible for uh, setting corporate corporate strategy to understand. Um, to really viscerally understand the implications of their decisions by feeling what these futures will look like 
through stories, you know, with plot and action and emotion, and to really engage with them to have a different conversation that's not the dry, you know, PowerPoint full of numbers type of thing. That, that's where I think that to connect what Gray and Brenda are talking about to how companies create strategy is something we need to solve. Very, very interesting. Thank you for tying that up into the business context as well, Dan. Gray, anything you want to briefly wrap up on this one before I move into something equally provocative from Brenda's notes? Gray? Yeah, I think when you're, when you're talking about the, the separation between what the public um, gets a hold of versus what we use in business, uh, I think Dan is right. I mean, you, businesses do need to understand disruption they do need to, and governments too, we all need to right. create forecasts that examine what could potentially be very negative and what we will do if that happens. So that's very important. My statement, I think, earlier was just about the public consumption and glamorizing um, the decay of culture and value. <laughs> and, and, I mean, that, that I think, is, is both of both sides of that coin is very necessary. So I agree with Dan on that. Thank you very much. And now, Brenda J. Cooper. I keep using the J because I keep my middle initial D very close, Brenda. So I, I have an affinity to people who use a middle initial in public. There you go. Brenda says a whole bunch of provocative things in her notes. But here's something. Uh, I don't know if we dare go into this, but let me take a chance. Or you say science fiction writers can say things that scientists cannot. There's a concept called scientific reticence because science is about testing about theory, about peer review. It can take a long time for new things to become quote-unquote generally accepted. Brenda, why don't you make that bridge for us? Is this a good thing that they can go where, go where no man or no scientist has gone before? What do you think, Brenda? I think it's actually one of the great gifts of science fiction that we can do that. Most science fiction writers, um, including me, I mean, I spend a lot of my reading time um, both online and in books is in science reading because I really feel like I need to understand what's happening with science and technology. But I can take it and I can take it a step further. So, for example, I've written stories about robotics where... The science article that I read was, hey, Japan happens to be experimenting with using robots to raise children. So I can take like a a two-paragraph science article, which can really just say these experiments are going on, and I could take that and then write a story that goes far beyond that and and explores the various different um, possibilities. You know, how could that be done? Um, really, to Dan's previous point, how could that go wrong? And then also, how could that go right? How might that actually be an okay thing? Because many people will, will obviously begin to take the view that that might be negative. Um, I think that scientists need to not extrapolate too far, or I believe they kind of lose some of their credibility. But I was just recently reading James Hansen. Um, on climate change, who actually, in his book, um, Storms of My Grandchildren, he actually ended it with a science fiction story that he wrote himself, which I thought was really interesting. But he talked a lot about the idea of scientific reticence and how, in a field where things are happening very quickly, it sometimes felt difficult to not be able to really go out on a limb. And he, in fact, suggested that reading science fiction can be part of the answer to that, because we can extrapolate, because if I'm wrong, well, I'm writing fiction. No one's really going to be unhappy with me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. 
Well, a scientist, I think, has to be a little bit more careful. Science is about proving theory and is, in some cases, about being wrong. But I think that a, a scientist or maybe even many of the people in a business might have to be a little bit more reticent about the possibilities of the things that they think could happen. Brenda, um, I want to add one more one more wrinkle here as you're moving along before we get Dan and Gray in. You say many scientists read science fiction. Business leaders should, too. Sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to get that in because that's so germane to our conversation. So please continue, Brenda. <laughs> okay, I'll respond to that. Um, I, um, I walked in the Science March in Washington, D.C., and I met a lot of scientists who were there sort of advocating for the importance of funding science. And many of them said that they had actually chosen to be scientists because they read science fiction. And I think I might have chosen to be uh, a technologist, partly because I read science fiction as a child and got interested in using technology to help solve problems. Um, One of my um, favorite futures friends, Glenn Heemstra, often talks to business audiences, you know, at really large scales. He does really big keynotes. And he talks about how important it is for business leaders to pick up science fiction as a way to see what the possibilities are, to sort of stretch the box, if you will, of the things that we're looking at. Because science fiction doesn't have to be reticent, but it does, to be good science fiction, have to be based on actual science and actual technology. So I think that makes for a really powerful blend. Thank you, Brenda. Dan Wellers, interesting topic here. What do you have to say? Uh, um, Exactly what Brenda said in her last comment. I mean, she's exactly right that science fiction um, in a business context or for business leaders, we, we, we need... We don't have the permission um, to 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 imagine like this, or to go outside of predefined boxes. And this, and because it's fiction, and because it's stories, it can really help us reimagine how things could be, and give us the space to 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 stand outside of the context we're in, stand outside of our own experiences, make it easier for us to look at complex questions in less encumbered ways, and 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 really, to a certain degree, it's about becoming comfortable with uncertainty also, and really perhaps looking at uncertainty as an opportunity. Uh, We are in business uncomfortable with uncertainty. We want to know the direction things are going to go and what should we invest in and what are the results going to be, and and we we just can't do that. That, 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 There's there's no way to do that now. Uh, I think this is a way to help us reset how we think about the possibilities of the future and just be more comfortable, in fact, maybe embrace the opportunities that come with no one really knowing. So that's, that's, that's how I respond to that. Thank you. Gray Scott, thoughts, please. Well, I think um, what Dan and Brenda are bringing up here is, is sort of the heart of this idea, is that science fiction is, uh, as we've talked about before, Bonnie, the idea that technology is a mirror. Science fiction also acts as a mirror and it allows us to sort of experiment and play with where we want to go, whether that's a business scenario, whether that's science fiction for the public. You know, Isaac Asimov said something that was really interesting once. He, he talked about the fact that we can't just rely on scientists and academics to understand the future. We all have a responsibility to understand the future, and that includes business leaders and businesses in general, because the, the science dictates the economy in a lot of ways. And so business is, is, is affected and will be disrupted by that. I mean, think about the perfect example of this is, is the Uber movement. 
I mean, that in itself, uh, that we saw that in Minority Report years and years and years ago. We saw driverless mm-hmm. cars years and years ago. And people, in a lot of ways, I was sort of stunned that business people didn't pick up on that. And there are lots of disruptive technologies that people could be implementing just by looking at old science fiction and saying, wow, can we do that? Can we do that? There you go. Brenda, anything you want to say to wrap that up before I quickly, we're almost at our predictions crystal ball round, but I want to pick up a topic here from Dan Weller's list. So, Brenda, anything you want to add? Uh, Just, I love the mirror idea, Gray, and I think that the fact that we can extrapolate ties back to my original quote from David Wren about change. It's because we can extrapolate that we can help people with change, and I'll let you go to Dan. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Dan Weller's, here's an interesting Quote from your list of topics you sent me. I think this ties it all up nicely. You say AI, artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles, robotics, neural networks, bioengineering, and other technologies will challenge everything we know. And you put quotes around the word know about aging, disease, human potential, organizations, work and income, opportunity, resources, and even the future of humanity. But here's the key sentence you added. Good science fiction stories can connect us on an emotional level to our possible futures and the implications of the decisions we make today. Dan Weller says a lot here. I can give you just about two minutes here. Why don't you tackle it for us? Yeah, no, that's fine. And thank you for, for bringing that particular point up. So I think the best way to expand on this is through some examples of science fiction stories. That you know, I'll be careful about giving away plots or spoilers, but there are some themes from a few really thought-provoking science fiction stories I've read recently. Bonnie shared some of them with you about consequences mm-hmm. and impacts of technology-driven change. For example, the story about an autonomous vehicle that knows you too well and takes you to a destination <laughs> based on your past behavior without checking if that's where you really want to go. Uh, or digital agent, or another one about digital agents or avatars that stand in for their human counterparts uh, in certain, uh, shall we say, social situations. Right? Uh, uh, stories about, for example, where is the ethical line between just repairing an injury with a robotic replacement and dramatically improving that person's performance uh, way past what normal humans could do. A- and once that's possible, well, then is it okay to upgrade ourselves without even having been been injured? So this brings up the robotics and human augmentation uh, uh, issues. But there was a story about human-machine interaction and machine translation technology that's advanced enough that, that we can communicate with other creatures and they can communicate with us, other animals, like, you know, crows and dolphins. And we find out through that that sentience and self-awareness and curiosity you know, is by no means limited to us. So stories like that about the effects of you know, living to 100 to 150 years and our effect on motivation and relationships, you know, there, all, there are lots of examples of stories. I've got a longer list of them, but I don't want to take through the whole time here, that, that, that are really just a tiny sampling that are rich with possibilities and implications uh, that are important to business in all aspects as well as us in our lives. Thank you very much, Dan. We are out of time, but I just want to mention that Dan has shared with me many sci-fi stories that are 
mini. They're they're what are they? Three minute stories, Dan. Three hundred words or less. They're they right. just you're in in and out. You read it. You you get absorbed, involved. You read it. You get the point, the plot, the aha moment, and you're out. They're so fast. You could do ten of these in an hour and have your head absolutely spinning, and you'd know that you're already immersed in the future. Thank you, Dan, for that. We need to talk about the future, but that's what we've been talking about for the whole hour. But this is officially the crystal ball predictions segment of the show. So, Grace Scott, I'm going to ask you to put on the future of the future of the future futuristic hat that you're always wearing and peer into the future. Let's see if we can focus around the year 2020. Uh, Brenda, you'll appreciate this. I think that I can't get the phrase 2020. You know who said that on TV for years out of my head. So I'm always focusing on 2020 these days. But, Grace Scott, take a look and tell me, what do you see in the crystal ball from your vantage point as a futurist, as a writer, as somebody immersed in this topic? What will change significantly about sci-fi as a genre? Grant, I can give you a whole whopping 60 seconds. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, Bonnie, I think what we're seeing already is that sci-fi is becoming science fact. I mean, we're reaching a stage now where we're we're catching up with our science fiction stories, um, even from, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So what's happening now is that we're actually seeing science fiction get even more, uh, in a lot of ways, outrageous and extraordinary because we're moving past what we've already predicted. Uh, I think you're going to see things that are very uncomfortable for people, whether that's the public or whether that's for businesses. Um, Economies are going to be disrupted. Nations are going to be disrupted. I think we're going to see the human form disrupted in a lot of ways. So the... I would expect the extraordinary to become ordinary in the near future. Oh, my. I'm so intrigued. So we're catching up to the science fiction story and predictions from 10 to 15 years ago. That is very, very telling. That almost reinforces, Gray, the idea that there's a responsibility of sci-fi writers on so many levels. Thank you very much, Brenda J. Cooper. I saved 60 seconds for you. Please look into the crystal ball. What do you see? I think there's two important trends going on with science fiction. One, I think we've touched on already, I think we're beginning to get more readership, including more of a business readership, more of a connection, if you will, between science fiction and the fast-moving change going on. Another thing that's happening is we're getting a wider readership. Science fiction used to be a place white men went to read and write, and now it is a place where many more of us go both to read and write, and I think that that's important. Very. And when you say a business readership, how, how do you know that? How do you find that? Is that something you see at the book fairs? Are the demographics of the readers? Do people have to register? What do you do for a living? Where do you make the money to afford these books? How do you know? Quickly. It's more because I've been at more business-oriented conferences where it's come up as a topic. Thank you very much. Do you think it should be mandatory reading for business leaders? Yes or no? Yes. Uh, thank you very much. Brief it to no, the point. Easy. Yeah, that was very easy. And uh, Dan Wellers, I saved 60 seconds for you exactly. So what do you see in the future, Dan? Sci-fi, uh, business uh, reading. Go ahead. I can't tell. Can't don't know personally whether this is a prediction or a, a, a wish. But what I would like to see and what I'll predict is that by, by 2025, let's say, uh, or maybe sooner, business will be supporting and developing you know, science fiction writers, and futurists also, uh, as as formal uh, formal parts of the team with a formal skill set, 
that is that is you know, recognized as critical to the company's future. And the, the perception of, of both of those uh, disciplines, I suppose is the right word, will change from escapism and storytelling and you know a way to to, to get out of the day to day to real real education and understanding about transformation. Uh, and, and that we have to embrace our uncertain futures and understand them and plan for them and tools to innovate into them uh, as if our future depends on it because it, it, it kind of does. Thank you very much. Very profound. I'm trying to wrap my head around all these great predictions. Gray Scott, thank you so much for joining me. And Gray, thank you for the introduction to Brenda J. Cooper. Brenda, you are a gem. You are a gift. Thank you so much for joining me. I have to get a hold of a copy of Wilders, unless you want to send me the ebook. I'd love to read it in between everything. Thank you so much. And Dan Wellers, well, my goodness, somebody from my team finally on Game Changers Radio. You have to tell everybody, okay, Dan? <laughs> Thank you so much to our three game-changing panelists and to Kevin, our engineer extraordinaire. I'll be back tomorrow with two live shows, one at 10 a.m. I think we have the future of manufacturing tomorrow. I'm not sure. We have 14 series. We're just changing the game. That's it. So here's my call to action. You all know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game-changer today, just like Ray Scott, just like Brenda J. Cooper, just like Dan Wellers. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.